Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? I came across the quote recently that Lewis Carroll said when he said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And then Steve Maraboli tweaked it and said, if you don't know exactly where you're going, how will you know when you get there? If you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you may know that over the last mm, decade, probably a little more, I have become obsessed with how our brains work, neurobiology. And one of the things that has been so tricky about this time that we have all been going through over the last several years, where we've sort of been in this sea of uncertainty, is that the absence of certainty can trigger a powerful sense of threat in our brain. And that can greatly diminish our ability to really communicate well and the quality of our decision making. We can also enter that same like threat state when we feel like our autonomy is threatened. So whether we're worried about the economy or layoffs or cutbacks or world events, big and small, Certainty and autonomy can feel hard to come by these days. And in the absence of perceived certainty, I mean, obviously, so much is not certain, but our brain loves certainty. And so in the absence of this feeling of perceived certainty and, and autonomy, research shows that clarity which is really all about our collective assessment of the current situation, of current reality, combined with an understanding of options that we can have some sense of control over, can be a soothing balm that can help us come back to ourselves. And so under these challenging circumstances like job insecurity, socio-political uncertainty, even interpersonal conflicts, we can help alleviate the stress of the unknown and put ourselves on a path to progress by getting focused on clarity and knowing where we're aiming to go. Which um, brings me... Yep. Sorry, I'm hearing a technical issue. Are you hearing that too, Diane? Mm -hmm, I am. Okay, so I'm um, not sure what happened here, but uh, is my mic being naughty? Yeah, your mic is. Uh, there's something up with the microphone. I'm not sure what's going on. 
All right, so I'm going to change the mic. Not sure what happened. How's that? Keep, keep talking to me. How is that? Does that seem now, better? Yeah, that's definitely going to come across a lot clearer. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave the room if you don't mind repeating whatever you, what, what you said in the uh, past uh, a minute or so. That would be helpful. Okay. I'm going to back up for those who are here with us live. Sorry for the repeats. So what I was talking about is the fact that our brain, our brain is having a hard time, y'all. Our brain hates uncertainty. And when we have things that feel so uncertain, it can trigger a result in our brain. It, it triggers this sense of threat, which can really have a negative impact on the quality of our communication and of our decision-making. And we, we can experience that same sense of threat when we feel like our autonomy, our ability to operate as an independent human is threatened. And so <laughs> there are many things right now that can feel like they are threatening our sense of agency, our sense of autonomy. And so one of the things that can calm our brain down is a feeling of clarity. And clarity is all about a collective assessment of current reality. So if a lot of us think the same thing about current reality and combining that with an understanding of some things that we can control are like our controllable options that can act as a calming agent for our brain. And given the fact that we are all sort of swimming in this sea of uncertainty, and then you overlay that economic uncertainty, job uncertainty, what's happening in the world, sociopolitical stuff, having a sense of this agency can really, and, and knowing where we're going, can really alleviate the stress of the unknown and put us on a path to progress by focusing on this idea of clarity which then helps us know where we're going to go, which brings us right to our guest for today. I am so excited to introduce you to Diane Dye Hansen. And she is a management consultant, just like me, and a doctoral candidate in the field of organizational change and leadership. She cares a lot about performance and innovation and disrupting business as usual, in order to create performance and innovation. And she helps leaders analyze their organizations and make process changes necessary to improve employee experience, engagement, and productivity to increase the bottom line. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you so much for having me, Janine. It's amazing to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. So I'm going to start the way that I often do which is tell me something that you have become aware of that we are not paying enough attention to either consciously or unconsciously. And then what is the cost of that inattention? 
So what we're not paying attention to a lot of the time, and it's usually the fault of business as usual, of uh-huh. the fire du jour, is what does success actually look like? And, you know, I would even challenge that we keep the front of this podcast where we had a little bit of technical difficulties because <laughs> that is a perfect example of a success metric that triggers a producer to come on. Oh, we have some audio quality problems. I noticed that. I know success for this podcast looks like clear audio quality. Therefore, audio quality not clear? No. All right, let's go in. Let's quickly fix it, close the gap, and now we move on towards success. But wow. what happens in the day-to-day is that we we are just so caught up in the autopilot, in the business as usual, in in point A to point B, where I specialize and where I focus on is service delivery, because that is the place where point A to point B is a lot shorter. Yeah. You are in a service, you, you have your client or your customer, and you have your service delivery um, employee. And if something is broken metrics wise here or training wise or skill gap wise here, it visits that front line very, very quickly. And it can in a product sense, but it might take a little bit longer to impact that bottom line. But in a service type industry, it happens quick. It happens quick in a restaurant. It happens quick in healthcare. It happens so fast. So if you do not know what success looks like, and you are not measuring what success looks like, you give yourself a big blind spot immediately because you have not built that plan, that certainty around that vision. And nothing feels more uncertain than not knowing what that vision is. Yeah, I was just working with a group of managers yesterday. And one of the things that I was talking about is that you know, we sometimes, I remember I had a manager a number of years ago who would say the equivalent of, go get me a rock. And I'd be like, um, okay, how about this one? No, not that one. Well, how about this one? No, not that one. You know, and, and I kept feeling like I was doing a bad job because I, I try and do whatever it was that she was asking for, but I wasn't getting enough clarity about what success looked like. Mm-hmm. that I kept coming with, well, you know, how, how about this? And, and it was just perpetually demoralizing. And so how can we help organizations get better at really creating that clarity for their teams about what does success look like? Well, to your example, I think one of the first steps is to understand the impact of perception. So for the audience, I have a bit of a challenge. You know, I want everyone to think of, think of a bus right now. And think of a bus, if they're holding that picture of a bus in your mind. Yep. I could bet you dollars to donuts that someone's thinking of a school bus, a city bus, a transit bus. There's all different types of buses, just like your rock, right? So what's really missing is okay, what is that gap between leadership perception and frontline perception? Right. What is what is the view from the C-suite, which is very different from what's different on the beat? So C-suite to beat, you have to have alignment. 
yeah. on, on that perception. And then and only then can you align on what success looks like for the metrics. So if you are collecting a metric, you have to know what the metric is, the vision for the metrics. You also need to know the how. And sometimes who's on the beat, that idea of what is even possible perception-wise is totally different than what the C-suite thinks can be done. So bringing that into alignment from that C-suite to the middle line to the front line is is absolutely essential as a first step. And that comes with transparent, honest, open, psychologically safe communication. I was just thinking as you were as you were talking, I want to get into metrics in a minute, but I was thinking part of what we were talking about yesterday is that when we create, as as you just used that term, psychological safety, which is really about I know that it is not only expected, but really obligated for me to tell you the truth and I'm not going to be punished for it. I'm not, there's going to be no retaliation if I say to you, okay, so this is really foobard out here and, and I don't know how to fix it, but you need to know that we've got a big problem. I am then not, you're not going to shoot the messenger. And if we don't create those situations, then who, whoever the decision makers are, aren't getting the right information to be making the best decisions that they can. And so we often, you know, will go off down a tangent road, not realizing that we don't have the right information. And so it really, it all starts with clear communication and not only just what is a, what kind of bus, what kind of rock, but really being very clear to paint the picture of how big is the bus? How many people does the bus fit? Where's the bus going? Does it need to run on diesel or is this an electric bus or a CNG bus or, you know, how, how is this all happening? And so really painting that picture out with people. And then, so then is it, is it then that we get to the metrics? So at, at that point, after you communicate the why, yes. you have to realize that as a leader, Simon Sinek has this beautiful quote, says, you are not in charge, you're responsible for the people in your charge. That mm. means you are also responsible for their performance. So communicating for that why, listening for performance gaps, and then don't collect and forget. So that's a mistake I see made so often is we'll, I'll, I'll sit down with a client and we will do OKRs and we'll do KPIs and we'll figure out how we're going to collect it and how often and who's going to collect it and assignments go out. And then we might as well have been in school. Because that's exactly what happens is that the metrics get collected once a quarter or once a year, but there's no action plan around it. There's no empathetic change management that exists around the metric. Sometimes I'll talk to an organization and they'll say, oh, should we be measuring that? <laughs> should, we, should we be having a net promoter score? Should we be measuring? I, I've, I've talked to companies that don't have exit interviews, or if they do have exit interviews, it's a checkbox. Right. 
So I would challenge every leader who is responsible for measuring success watching today, how many of your metrics are change metrics and how many are checkbox? Because as you, the more checkbox metrics you have, okay, it might look good at the 30,000 foot level, but the level of change and excellence in service delivery that you're achieving is diminished. And you don't want to be in a spot where you're like, yes, absolutely. Yes. We collected this. There's our metrics. And oh, this one that's kind of an outlier. Well, we just won't include that one in the report. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or we, we collected them and then sort of, as you were pointing to, we didn't really do anything with it. Yeah. And then we didn't close the communication loop with our people. We didn't say, so here's what we learned. Here's what we heard. Here's what the, what the information told us. Here's what the data said. And then here's what we did with it. And so, you know, thank, thank you for your participation in, in this. And part of being responsible for the people in your charge is to understand what barriers they face and removing those barriers. And also when something is going well, um, enough to go, you know, this change actually went really well. So without so quickly going on to the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one, we take some time and we value and we validate. And when we value and we validate, that also improves performance because I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel safe, and I want to perform because I feel like this organization is helping me reach my personal goals. So reviewing and celebrating that success is important. So if you think you can kind of think of it like building a house, right? You're not going to slap a roof on a piece of sand and call it done. Right. Like that's it. I am literally technically I am under a roof. Right. <laughs> but I have to crawl <laughs> under the sand to get in under the roof. It's it's not gonna right. work, right? So you've got to pour that foundation. That foundation is measure what matters. It's the OKRs and KPIs, but it doesn't stop there. And by stopping there, leaders do their organizations a disservice. Yeah. So I want to, I want to back up a second. I want to get people really clear on these two terms. So this is directly from Diane's website. So Diane, can you just talk a little bit about what an OKR is and what a KPI is? Because some of our listeners may not even be uh, clear about those terms. Absolutely. So OKR is objectives and key results. So it is, I've said a couple of times this podcast, the 30,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what matters to the organization. It's high level. Um, The objectives can be strategic, operational, tactical, but those objectives are basically, if you think of it like a circus tent, it is the tent pole. Mm-hmm. Without a very solid objective and key result, you can't trickle down to the actionable KPI or key performance indicators. And what that does is that measures the progress toward those higher 30,000 foot objectives um, acting as tent stays. The tent will stay up. 
um, when you have all of the anchors that are tight, secure, KPIs are being met. KPIs are, are more tactical in nature. They are specific. They can be used to gauge how well employees are doing in terms of meeting their goals, but they're very, very specific. And the OKRs are, are that top level organizational priority. Paired together, it is such an organizational superpower because you are tightly focused on the um, CEO's vision for the organization. Mm -hmm. You are tightly focused on the operational goals, the financial goals, the people operations goals. Everything at that 30,000 foot sea level is directly attached to what is happening on the bottom line so the show can go on. And if any of those lines go loose, you know, what happens? The elephant leaves the, leaves the circus. <laughs> right. We have a, we have a problem. We right? have a problem. Right. Right. So, so if you, a quick test, you can say, is this an a OKR or is this a KPI? You need to ask yourself who cares? Mm. Right. My one, one OKR would be shareholder return. Uh-huh. Who so cares? The CEO, the CEO, board, CFO, right. they care, right? right? Yep. So how would that translate to the bottom line with the KPI, shareholder return? Huh, customer value. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Well, the salespeople care because they have to develop customer value in order to make the sale. Mm-hmm. The customer success or customer customer management teams, they care because you want to deliver customer satisfaction. Retention matters. You know, all of these little KPIs, mm-hmm. not so little because they attach to something bigger like shareholder value right. um, or shareholder return. And there could be a number of things like that, like, you know, how do we show up in the media as an organization? Mm-hmm. Or one, one thing that I have been looking at currently is how reviews on Indeed, Glassdoor, and external reviews, how those connect to internal measurements within the employee satisfaction function mm-hmm. and the employee engagement function, which can be used. These external things they can be mid the risk can be mitigated so that they don't show up but if they are out there if there are less than three stars to to not go the route of blame and yeah. go the route of curiosity yeah oh man curiosity i feel like is a word that needs to be like forefront in every organizational leader regardless of what your role is in the organization, but everyone who's a leader in an organization gets to get curious these days. And I think, you know, when we put curiosity first, we then have an opportunity to let go of fear, let go of scarcity, let go of it's my fault, let go of um, blame and shame and move into how do we, how do we, get this on track, whatever, whatever the, this is in that sentence. Yeah. And, and suddenly it's okay for the audio to go wrong. It just right. does. And you know, there's no blame, there's no shame. There's no, not anything. There's no weight behind right. that. Right? right. And it gets to be the object lesson that it is and the piece yeah. of value that it is versus being afraid of failure, being afraid of looking funny, being afraid of any, any of the above. Yeah. It, it just is. And you go, okay. 
that was now what is yeah um and then if it was and then you figure out what is then you can figure out what you can do about it so what's coming up in my brain is two different things both of which if we have enough time i want to get into a little bit uh one is about culture organizational culture and how that connects with this and then the other is around keeping employees when we were uh prepping for this interview you know i i will confess i have never i work a lot with organizations on organizational culture and i have never really thought other than like employee engagement surveys i've never really thought about how to use data in order to design culture in order to further culture so what ideas do you have about the intersection between culture and measuring success and data well first you have to know what kind of culture you have and what you really have it's it's <laughs> yeah. not what kind of culture you want it's not right. about the writing on the wall funny story i was fresh faced in my 20s and one of the organizations that i was working for was acquired by another one and we had a town hall mm. and i sat in that town hall and was, does anyone have any questions and everyone was super silent and right. i raised my hand and i said um what do your offices look like your corporate offices uh-huh and the HR person who was delivering this town hall was entirely confused. And they're like, well, um, it's in a warehouse. And, um, and I said, well, more like your corporate offices in terms of like, what do your walls look like? What do your workspaces look like? And, and they didn't really understand it at that point. Uh, but uh -huh. little little 20-year-old fresh-faced Diane was saying, I want to see if we have organizational alignment here. Yeah. Because if, if we're looking at an organization that is very industrial and very set in old ways and, and very, this is the way it has always been in business as usual, merging with an organization that has brightly colored walls, two managers per office who collaborate, an open pit area and lunch rooms. Right. We have we have some differences here that me as an employee need to understand. So so the idea is that we utilize metrics for culture by knowing what the culture actually is within the mm -hmm. organization with an employee engagement satisfaction survey to find out what's actually going on in the trenches. We compare that to the cultural vision, mm -hmm. which is in alignment with the mission, vision, values of the organization is, you know, a cultural, a cultural vision. Right. And then we close those gaps with gap analytic framework to discover, okay, what's our current state? What's our ideal state? What do we have to look at, at knowledge, motivation, or what's within the organization to close these gaps up? so that we're we're walking the walk and talking the talk so to speak so yep. that when we're recruiting new employees we're telling the truth yeah <laughs> and and that people's day-to-day -day experience you know my least favorite thing and i worked in this kind of organization for a while is if they've got posters up on the wall that say things like teamwork and you know motivation and something maybe about success but then that's not people's day-to-day -day experience yeah. of working there 
every time I walked into that lunchroom and saw those beautiful posters, I got mad and I felt like a little part of me died every day that I walked into that lunchroom such that by the time I eventually left, a lot of me had died because I was so, there was such a disconnect between what they said and how it felt to be there every day. Yeah. You cannot throw up a poster and call it a culture. It, it, it just doesn't work like that. And mission, vision, values, unless communicated and measured to the bottom line that this is happening, I'm sorry, it's not your mission, vision, or values at that point. I'd like to challenge anyone who's in the executive ranks watching this to look at their organization's mission, vision, values and ask, do I measure these to my bottom line within my role, within my responsibility? So if you're at the C-level, is this happening? If you're at the mid-level, can I make this happen? And if you're mm -hmm. at the, at the, in the Front trenches line. doing yep. the work, go, you know what? What can I do? Yeah. What is my responsibility in making this happen? That should happen across the organization. Yeah. So from the C-level to the mid-level to the front lines, what is my responsibility in this in, in making this culture? Because culture culture starts with a seed. It's yeah. you know, it, it starts with a seed and that seed sprouts and it you remember those like little little uh, flowers you blow on and oh, yeah, dandelion seeds. And then there's yeah. more. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of like that, right? right. But and that's why psychological safety is so important is because you're you're not going to take that risk. You're not going to look at the the mission, vision, values of the organization you're in and go, gosh, you know, I, I would like to present like this. I know the company wants me to present like this, but my frontline manager doesn't support this and right. I would not be rewarded or respected. In fact, um, I would probably be punished right. for this. So instead, I'm going to go here. And that's why those surveys are so valuable yeah. because and, and when you have a third party do them, an objective third party who can assure confidentiality. Right. Uh, and that's another thing in collecting metrics, confidentiality and anonymity. There's a strong reaction often with employees and uh, the anonymity statements on a lot of surveys because yep. they don't believe it. Right. So that that trust is is not there. And the more they don't believe it, the less psychologically safe your organization is. And but the less good data you're going to get. I mean, I, exactly. I worked for uh, an organization where I did not feel safe, where I knew my manager would retaliate against me and her team was small enough that if I gave bad numbers, I knew she would know it was me. And so I gave good numbers to a manager who was incredibly toxic because I had no other choice. And when we put people in that situation, then, you know, it's that old saying, garbage in, garbage out. So how do we ensure that nobody's going to get access to the data that can then undermine the validity of the data? Exactly. And you have to close the loop as well. So the the data has to be valid right. and it has to be data that can be actionable. But all this action could be happening in the background. And if the frontline doesn't know or the people who responded to the survey don't know that things are happening, you get this. Every year they ask us what we think. 
And every year, nothing changes. Right. So you have to commit to closing that loop. Yep. And when you commit to closing that loop, then, then you, you get um, that trust factor that's so important. And it's very, very clear that your organization is listening so that it does matter to speak up. It can be super safe to be who I am and say anything, but if nothing happens and right. with longevity and tenure, this, this problem intensifies, then, then you're still going to get the same level of attrition and resentment right. or quiet quitting or, you know, fill, fill in your quit de jour here. Right. And I was getting, I was getting data the other day from a, a little over 300 CEOs. And I was, I was both surprised and not surprised that a lot of them are in manufacturing and issues around things like supply chain that we've been hearing a lot about, they were asked, what are your top two concerns? Almost everyone had a concern around getting the right talent, keeping the right talent, keeping people engaged. And so this is around, is really around what you were talking about, Diane, around the way that we want to ensure that the work environment is set up so that we are keeping our top talent and so that when people are looking at the possibility of coming to work with us, we've got the kind of environment where they're actually going to want to stay. So how, how can we use these data tools to help ensure that we are keeping our best employees and creating the kind of, of environment in addition to what you were just talking about, that is going to ensure that when we recruit people in, that this is going to be a place that we're going to want to keep them and they're going to want to stay. Uh, well, first, be focused on what you want to measure. Organizations can get very survey happy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and so to when you do ask, ask with intentionality. Mm-hmm. Once you once you do ask, make use of that data, make use of, of the data that you have just collected and, you know, do the work around it. Also, don't try to change everything at once. Uh, Cognitive overload is a thing. Yes. And when you try and this is this is why empathetic change, man, not just change management, empathetic change management is very important because you can go through all of the steps of the change management but that that really important piece is is this too much all at once and am i running people into the wall with this you could yeah. you could hit every every step of cotter's method you could hit every step of adcar you could hit every step over over and everything and academically it looks like you're doing everything right but if you miss that piece of is this the right amount of change for the environment that we are in? If you look at that environment, is our environment right now supporting what we want to do? And with that concept of connectivity, how can I connect what we are trying to change, trying to measure everything in with what's important right now? How yeah. can I make the main thing the main thing right now. 
And then I have a belonging initiative. I can connect that with this. Mm-hmm. How can I how can I connect, connect, connect so I don't get to that place of they survey us, they make all these changes, there's a million changes going on all at once. And yes, yes, we do want to make a lot of change and we want to be innovative and all of that, but we also want to create innovation that sticks. Right. Uh, and if we try to change too much, I mean, back too on a personal level, it's like going right. on a diet, right? Right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to change my wardrobe. I'm going to change my hair. I'm going to change everything. Right. And, and what happens, uh, what happens in the next, in the month? Well, we do it for a few weeks and then we stop. It's done. Right. It's done. I, I have, be, but what's happened is you've actually forced yourself on a personal level into that cognitive overload. It's too much. Yeah. So understanding that um, span, if you think of it kind of like a, here's, here's our, our highest level output, our, our extreme on this end, here's our extreme on this end. How do we define the middle, the sweet spot in connection with these initiatives so that we don't create that metric overload? Metric collection is just the beginning. Right, right. (laughs) It's metric collection, check, but it can just- (laughs) Then what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Exactly. So do something with it. Uh, I, I love this. And I love that this conversation is happening now. So our last episode- which was with Beth Banks Cone was all about change management. And so now we're talking about how we measure change and how we measure success, which which so much go hand in hand. I was just talking with an organization uh, that I've been working with for about six, eight months now, and we were going to begin a big change initiative. And we there were about 10 of us sitting around in a conference room last week and we decided, we're not going to do it yet. There's been so much change. There have been so many things happening and new programs coming on board and, and new clients coming on board. We need to get, we need to get our feet back under us again before we start the next thing. And so I love what you're pointing to. We are 10 minutes over our 30 minute uh, ideal because as I said, I get talking with people that I enjoy and I just want to keep talking. So I want I do want to start wrapping it up here. Is there anything that you were hoping we would get a chance to talk about today that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet? I think we've really touched on the high points of it awesome. and that metrics are important to collect but it's what you do with them, it's how you communicate them, it's how you listen for performance gaps. Don't collect and forget, execute empathetic change and review and celebrate the success of the change and learn from the failure of the change and and don't be afraid to fail, keep the organization psychologically safe. So it's, it's not a thing to fail. Right. Oh, what a what a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you for your your deep understanding of these things, your curiosity about them, for that note that that you know, we are all creatures whether we are individuals or teams or organizations, we are all creatures in the process of becoming. 
And when we get hooked by, oh, I didn't, I didn't do that right. I didn't do that perfectly. Whether it's me a we or an us, we, we get thrown off and our opportunity is, is to get curious and our opportunity is to learn. So thank you so much for creating some more clarity around these concepts and, and how we can work with them well. You're so welcome. And if your viewers want to get more curious, um, they're welcome to uh, subscribe to my free research. We release research every week and you can go to bit.ly backslash WWC free research. And um, I just signed up and you've got two white papers that people immediately get uh, one around retirement and one around driving employee retention. So y'all go and check those out. Definitely. Uh, Diane, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you. It was amazing. Awesome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.